Welcome to our Week in Review podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher and I'm joined as always by someone whose voice may sound a fraction different, Jordan McDonald. Welcome. Hi, Michael. Yes, I sound a bit haggard. I've uh, been <laughs> blessed with my second bout of sickness in the space of about four weeks. So, so you've come back from uh, holidays and you've had a couple of bugs. Yeah, pretty much. Just, just a real hearty man flu, to be honest, I think. But uh, yeah, no... But you're a fighter. I'm a battler. I'm battling today. I can't let the um, the source listeners down. No, you could no. easily have just uh, worked from home. I could have dialed in, but I thought I'd better show up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll excuse you any little coughs that <clears throat> might happen, but great to have you here as we talk about a few different topics today. We're going to bounce from uh, road safety campaigns to Twitter to... Um, even Avatar. Avatar. We're going to talk <laughs> about Avatar. Dust that one off. So there's a few topics today mm. that we'll discuss in our second last week in review for 2023. We talk a lot, Jordan, at 55 Comms about how you influence audience behaviour. That's really what we do at our core. That can be through discussing communication strategy for niche uh, causes or for wider strategy for matters that affect many. So mm-hmm. this is what we really do. But in terms of those big picture issues, you're getting up quite high when you talk about road safety. Yes. How do you change people's behaviour when it comes to driving on our roads? Because that's something that, that impacts all of us. The state government in Queensland has released its latest attempt to influence that road safety is Queensland barrels through what's been another very bad year for our road toll here. Mm. So what's this new state government road safety campaign about and will it work? Now, I'll quote the state government's media release. That's the easiest way to do that. Yeah. So transport and main roads will launch an impactful drink driving campaign this month to put consequences front and centre Transport and Main Roads Minister Mark Bailey said the campaign would put the consequences of drink driving in your hands. Mm -hmm. A quote from the minister says, we are taking a hard-hitting approach this year to shock potential drink drivers out of complacency by showing serious and unforgettable consequences. Right. Okay, so, well, how shocking is this campaign? Have a listen to this ad in which a man walks to a bar and has a conversation with the bartender about which beer he will buy. And all the beers are named in relation to drink driving consequences, including the lose your license lager. So here is the commercial. Uh, Tossing up between the RBT and the interlock shine. Uh, What are these? There's job loss. That's got a pretty bitter aftertaste. You praying? It's a bit pricey. This one here will change your life. I'll go with the whiplash. If you drink and drive... Cheers. The consequences are in your hands. Drinking, never drive. Jordan, I'm guessing you're the target audience here for that ad that we just heard. Mm -hmm. You're a male in your 20s. So how do you react to that ad? Um, Not a whole lot of reaction. I mean... Look, 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 some of the key words in that government statement, you know, hard-hitting and shock, I'm missing both of those in that ad, I think. Um, I think the, la- the ad lacks any real impact. 
there's just it's missing that shock factor, and I think you really need that shock factor to get the attention of young Australians, um, particularly if it's to do with a deadly road issue like drink driving. Um, I just yeah, I thought the ad, the, the, the odd quips and the sarcastic bartender serving beers that are renamed to outcomes of drink driving. It doesn't really make me think about drink driving. It just makes me feel guilty for buying a beer whenever. Um, yeah, it's just an odd one. I think the government's attempted to try and be a bit cool and edgy uh, in uh, engaging younger people, but it's missed the mark. I'm all for that shock factor big time. Um, yeah, I think we need that shock factor to communicate the sort of extreme outcomes that can be caused by this drink driving I mean, we all remember the, the Grim Reaper, not related to drink driving necessarily, but yeah. that's really impactful ad. Yeah, I, I must say this is um, this is a cause that is quite uh, close to me in the sense that when I was editor of the Courier Mail, we would do an annual road safety campaign and we would work really closely with senior police. And every year we would start that campaign in January and we would run it through the whole year whenever we did yeah. stories about the road toll or we did proactive stories about it. So th- this is something that I spent a lot of time on over the years trying to look at from an not an advertising viewpoint but mm. an impactful, to borrow the statement of the government media release, an impactful way mm. to discuss people's behaviour. So... Uh, I'm always struck by the fact that the lowest road tolls for Queensland have coincided with the introduction of new speed measures, such as uh, covert speed cameras or the digitising of the cameras which lowered the speed threshold. So that happened in 1998 and 2010, and they were the best years Queensland has known relative to the years around them. So when we see the toll compared to the years around them, mm. 98 and 2010 really stand out. Okay. And they coincided with the introduction of speed cameras and then covert cameras. Now, mm. to me, that is more than a coincidence. People change their behaviour on the roads. It, it was a real behaviour changer. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember some of those conversations we had with senior police at the time, particularly around 2010 because that's when I was editor of the paper, what we did at that time was we discussed the fact with police that the digitising of cameras, speed cameras, meant that – so they went from analogue to digital. What it meant was that they could then issue a whole lot more um, speeding offences. <clears throat> Until that technology came in, what they had to do was literally process the wet film from the speed cameras. God. So if you got clocked at a speed camera, someone would have to go away, get the film out, process it physically and send it back. The digitisation of it meant that they could pretty much just get anyone who went through. Yeah, absolutely. So it meant that they could lower the threshold. So if you were in a 60 zone you got fined for speeding, Mm. you know, uh, you weren't getting fined at 61 kilometres an hour simply because the government, you know, there's always some leeway, but they, they couldn't keep up, police couldn't keep up with the numbers of uh, film they had to had to process. Right. Once the digitisation came in, they could issue a whole lot more. So we did, a, we did stories with police which actually discussed this in the sense to say this threshold will come down. Now, of course, we didn't say what the threshold would be. We, we, we knew what it would be, but we didn't believe as media it was responsible for saying – we were responsible for saying what it was. Because yeah. then you just issue a new um, 
really default speed limit. That's it. So um, that was really interesting from my viewpoint to watch the behaviour and the way that people reacted to it. We could see on our website at the Courier Mail people were responding and making comments and we got so many comments. Why? Because it's an area that affects everyone. Yes. Every, you know, everyone's yes. on the roads in some way. And I must say that um, no one guessed the threshold. No one guessed the existing one. The oh, one right. that they were changing, sorry. So the one that had been no, – no one guessed it. <laughs> Lots of people said things on there like it's 10%, etc. That wasn't the case. So 10%. no one guessed it. But that's come down. But 2010 to me was another year that had a really uh, good result for the toll when you look around it. So, But you can't do that every year. So you can't go and change camera laws every year. So something else has to give. And we know the road tolls come down over the years due to safer cars, better roads, fines and police enforcement. So you get to the point where some people say, well, the percentage of deaths, say per 100,000 people, mm. is much lower than what it used to be. So what's the problem? Well, it's clear from the likes of 98 and 2010 that it still can be lower, yep. which means it's safer for people innocently going about their business on the road. So what yes. do you do? This is what we come back to here at 55 Comms in terms of uh, changing audience behaviour. Well, for mine, there remains the gold standard in terms of Australian road safety advertising, and that has come from Victoria's Transport Accident Commission. They came up with a line, if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot. So yep. when the TAC was created in 1987, it declared that the purpose of its advertising would be to, uh, I use their words, upset, outrage and appall Victorians. <laughs> so great. upset, outrage and appall. What a good job. And it did succeed. Victoria can lay claim to decades of success with its road toll, of which the TAC's ads played a significant role with their brutal takes on the reality of car crashes. Now, brutal. As one writer put it, these ads have stuck in the consciousness of the Victorian motorist over the years like haunting memories. Absolutely, yeah. So what are they like, these ads, if you haven't seen them? They're very visual. And here's audio of one ad from 1997 about the importance of slowing down. So this ad starts with a man walking across the street after leaving a suburban shop and he's hit by a car. The footage is graphic. Uh, you won't um, see the footage obviously here, but you will uh, listen to this ad as we take you back to 1997 and the Transport Accident Commission in Victoria. I'm a trauma surgeon. And I want to reconstruct what happens to the human body in less than two tenths of a second when hit by a car braking from 70 kilometres per hour over a braking distance 50 metres. Even in a car equipped with ABS, the first impact will occur around 46 k's. The bumper hits the knee joint, tearing flesh and ligaments. The full weight of the skull smashes through the windscreen. The neck snaps, the skull shatters and the pedestrian's brain is turned into pulp. In little more than a second, the pedestrian's body will hit the road with a 70% chance of being dead. And had you been braking from 60 k's, not 70, there's a good chance you could have stopped in time and the pedestrian would have suffered nothing worse than a severe fright. Think about it. That's a pretty confronting ad, that one, especially when you stack it up against uh, the current uh, ads that the state government here yeah. is doing. So how does this current Queensland campaign stack up? Very gently. Mm. Uh, you know, I go back and must say, I, 
the Queensland one is neither shocking nor is it realistic. There's an element of comedy in it with the names of the beers such as Interlock Shame XPA. And it's, it's sort of verging a bit of, bit of comedy there. Look, I hope the ad campaign does really well. Don't get me wrong. I hope it of does course. really well. Uh, yeah, but yeah, in yeah. terms of, of you know, what, what it may do, I don't have high hopes for it. Because yeah. I don't think from my experience that when you talk about changing audience behaviour, I just don't see where this one goes. Mm. Um, but I hope there's more to it. What What do you think in closing on this one? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I remember seeing a, an ad when I was a young kid that was similar to the one we just played. In a, yeah, similar situation, run over in the street and it was very graphic. That thing is burnt into my brain still and it has acted as a deterrent for all my adult life. So... I've not seen that in the the current campaign for the upcoming holiday season. So, yeah, I suppose my hopes are similar to yours. Yeah, let's uh, see how that one goes. Uh, Another topic that we talk about a fair bit, Jordan, Twitter. We can't do one without Twitter, but it's such a fascinating space at the moment. And there's a couple of different parts of it this week. You have looked at the Twitter tick, of course, the uh, the blue tick, which has always been the verified account. What's yes. happened this week? Yes, so uh, of course, Twitter continues to dominate the world news. With uh, as Elon sort of works to figure out how to turn that non-profit, as he described it in an article this week, into a profitable town square. He said the world so desperately needs. Um, but, yeah, one hotly contended change this week was Elon did decide and made it official that people will need to pay for their verification tick uh, via a Twitter Blue subscription. But I also noticed scrolling Twitter yesterday that it's not just a blue tick anymore, there's a gold one. Yes, there's a gold tick there for the first time yeah. ever. Yeah, so this is for businesses who have opted in to the Twitter Blue for business pilot and uh, I noticed yesterday a few major papers around the country have already got the, the gold tick. Others are still on the blue tick. Um, but yeah, in Australia, Twitter blue is going to cost you about $13 a month. And what does it really get you? So it, it, currently it gets you early access to select, not all, select new features by Twitter blue labs. You can edit your tweets up to five times in the first half an hour. And you can change your profile picture to an NFT if you oh. own one. Bonus. Yep. Uh, and lastly, you can uh, upload your videos in 1080p HD. Do you, uh, you get less abuse? Um, no, didn't <laughs> notice that in there. But um, there's a bunch of benefits coming soon. The main ones being you'll be able to post longer videos. You'll see 50% less ads in your feed. And your tweets will be prioritised throughout Twitter. Because you're a verified account, they're going to prioritise you throughout Twitter. So, um, yeah, interesting little change. Um, Whether I'm here for it or not, I'm not sure yet. I I see a lot of people wanting to buy a tick now because they can. You know, particularly young people, that's a bit of social clout. Yep. but at the same time, I think they'll buy it and that novelty will wear off in about a week because, oh, everyone's got a blue tick now. <laughs> yes. Whereas previously you sort of had to earn it, you had to have the profile. But, um, yeah, look, users who currently have that blue tick, uh, they still have it for the time being, but it's expected they will lose it eventually and have to pay up. Well, Twitter went so aggressively after journalists in the early days that it, it handed out these blue ticks to everyone in newsrooms. It seemed even to the kid in the mailroom uh, back when... 
newsrooms had mailrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, some journos with fewer than 100 followers got blue ticks. I remember that. It was just a shameless attempt by Twitter to stroke the egos of journalists. But, hey, history shows that that's a very good tactic. Yes. It always pays off when you stroke a journalist's ego. <laughs> now, I said before in the podcast, I'm fascinated by Elon Musk's, <laughs> Musk's attempt to turn Twitter from a money-chewing, hate-fueled dog of a social media platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a dog a of a sentence in the podcast. <laughs> it's a dog of a platform uh, into uh, something that may be more commercially viable. Mm. Having said that, though, of course, I use Twitter a lot as a uh, news source. I yes. use Twitter a lot. So. Yep. But there may be more to some of Elon's moves than just the money, as I sarcastically point out a bit. I was really interested in this piece that you found, Jordan, mm. uh, on Substack this week by a group called the Free Press, written by uh, Barry Weiss. Basically, this was a report uh, from a journalist who was among those called in by Elon Musk to go through the Twitter company records and files to see if there was any evidence of company policies mm. uh, being uh, <coughs> put in place or moves to suppress different viewpoints mm-hmm. on the platform. And this group did find examples where it seems conservative views were routinely censored with more rigour than those from the left side of politics. Of course, the findings were first published on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That was a deal that uh, Musk put in place. But there's this longer piece that you found, as we mentioned, on Substack that explains more. There are some interesting comments from this piece, which I'll read out now uh, from uh, Substack. And it says, what's surprising is how thoroughly Twitter misled the public, insisting that they didn't suppress disfavoured users and topics when they absolutely did do that. As far as Musk sees things, in his words, birth rates are plummeting, the thought police are gaining power, and even having an opinion is enough to be shunned. We are trending in a bad direction, end quote. He says he wants to transform Twitter from a social media platform distrusted and despised by at least half the country into one widely trusted by most Americans. The piece goes on to have it fulfil its highest mission, that of a digital town square where all ideas can be heard. The piece continues, when Musk took over, he said he found Twitter in disarray. Employees had unlimited vacation time and permanent work from home. He said that Twitter wasn't pursuing issuing earnings but social influence mm-hmm. and it was fundamentally an activist organisation in Musk's, Musk's words. So since he took the helm at Twitter, he has fired 80% of staff. Far out, hey. And the piece says uh, that uh, it quotes Musk again as saying, it's like an aircraft was going in one direction and then suddenly pulled a U-turn and hit the afterburners in the other direction. That's what happened to Twitter right now. So the journalist says, goes on to say, we're living in a culture that's been suffering from a lack of open, transparent, informed public debate. For people to have the courage to speak their minds, they have to know at least what's happening. Twitter's former leadership curtailed public debate, drew arbitrary lines about what's fake and what's real and gaslit ordinary Americans. Musk says he won't do that. Perhaps we'll have to wait for the inevitable third owner to open up another set of archives. (laughs) So really interesting stuff and some strong words. (coughs) And as we do this podcast now, 
there are reports emerging that some journalists in the US claim they have had their accounts suspended right now. Yes. The New York Times has bought into that and called for these accounts to be reinstated yes, yes. and for Twitter to explain why it is doing this. So here we go, we're almost coming to the other side of this now. Mm. And it brings us back to a topic we discussed last week. How do you make sure that something is totally unbiased? And it's impossible to do when humans are involved. That's it. We've spoken about the ABC Charter being one of unbiased information. Yet, how do journalists choose if a story is reported as the opposition slamming the government mm-hmm. or the government defending itself from opposition criticism? There is a big difference in the way that you take that uh, different method and you can't use an algorithm to decide if there is overall bias. Mm-hmm. There's always some control in the hands of humans. So we're never, we'll never solve this. We never will. But Twitter sh- right now is an intriguing ride. And let's stay tuned to see what happens in this space. Now, a space that's been moving a lot, which we talk about a lot, is ad-supported tiers of streaming services. So these streaming services, uh, which have uh, always been a subscription only with no ads, going to a cheaper version with ads. And Jordan, Disney has joined the ad-supported tier. Yes, it has. Nine months after it first announced it would bring an ad-supported tier, Disney launched their ad-supported plan on Monday and it's going to cost $7.99 US per month. And I say US because it's only available in the US for the time being. Um, It is expected to land in other countries next year and Australia should be a part of that. But look, it, it offers pretty much everything that... The stream is ad-free tier has, which includes the full catalogue of content, multiple profiles, concurrent viewing, and high-quality formats. However, the features that are not available at the launch of the uh, ad-supported tier will be downloads, group watch, share play, and Dolby Atmos. So, not tremendous losses, to be honest. (laughs) No Dolby Atmos for you? Yeah, no, I'm all good. I'll be fine. Um, But yeah, the part of this news that interested me is that Disney Plus advertising, it won't be targeted to begin with, and that's different to how Netflix started with their ad tier because they had a few criteria that they used to target their ads. So for Disney, the ads will be 15 and 30-second spots, with a few 45-second spots, depending on the creative, uh, and they will appear in the pre- and mid-roll ads. Um, Disney did say they will be experimenting with the placements to find out what works best for the user experience. But, um, look, as, as Disney Plus grows, they plan to fill four minutes per hour with the inventory when they've fully sold all their ad space. Um, but Disney uh, ad sales chief Rita Ferro said the company intentionally undersold its inventory at the launch to make sure that the ads were the highest quality. Good to know. Mm. So with the ads, you can't skip them, you can't fast forward them, we know this, uh, but they can be paused. You can take screen... I found this interesting. You can take screenshots of the ads, but you can't actually take a screenshot of Disney Plus content. You They've can't. actually prevented that. How do you prevent that? Fantastic. I wanted to look into this before the podcast and I got part way through, but we we're just running on time. But I think... <laughs> the Stay tuned next week. We'll yeah, tell you well, how. My understanding is they they really fear that someone could quite literally screenshot every frame of content and publish that content wow, somewhere. Okay. Yeah. 
so yeah, look, and if a user jumps back into the episode before an ad break, they'll be served more spots, even if they already went through through that other spot. Yeah, right. So they they will get you in the end. Yeah. So you know, like we did with Netflix, we get to sit back and watch for a bit and see how Disney Plus handles their ads. So you have Disney Plus at home. I do have Disney Plus at home. I didn't pick it, but Shan did. She loves it and some of the Disney movies and other things on there. But yeah, they have it. You're still not tempted to get your not much of a reduction, is it? To have no, to put in up fact, with ads? The, the, the ad free one's gone up a dollar or two because of you get the same quality yeah. without with with ads now, so it's gone up. But yeah, I've got no interest in the ad for, uh, the ad supported version. I'm happy to pay the extra few bucks. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's only a few bucks extra. You're in it. That's it. It's it's only a few bucks yeah. extra. Yeah. Look, there was some some. Really interesting reporting this week on the first month of Netflix, <coughs> Netflix's ad-supported tier mm-hmm. and how that worked out for advertisers. It's been a month now. Australia was one of the 12 countries that Netflix did this in. And why we talk about it is because we're really interested to know in this fast-moving era of uh, communications mm. when you know, it seems like streaming services aren't that old at all and they're already finding that they've got to find new ways to engage people. So that's why yes. we talk about this. What It's about audience behaviour and what audiences will put up with or what they're interested in. So one month into Netflix's ad-supported version, we saw some reporting this week of some of the experience for advertisers. Interestingly, the Financial Review reported that some brands had allocated six-figure spends for their ad content on the Netflix service but ended up being billed less than a thousand dollars so some of the big brands noted in the story were national australia bank and chemist warehouse so how did this happen so how do these brands allocate big chunks to spend but Mm. then not get much at all well it turns out they couldn't place the ads because of the automatic bars that prevent some of these brands advertising in shows that feature (coughs) sex scenes violence and or nudity and isn't this what makes up the most popular shows on streaming platforms? Pretty much. Like I think <laughs> Dharma, for example, massively popular. Where do you place an ad in that? So if you've got these automatic uh, filters on that blocks yeah. your ad, I don't know what you'd really advertise. Is in. that the company's enforced? So that's the company's enforced blockers? Yeah. Or is that, that Netflix and, blocking? And, well, it's the companies that just say, yeah, yeah. we don't so want So they've it. picked criteria. Yeah. What they, okay, yep. Yeah, so we don't want to have our brand associated mm. with something that may okay. have this. So therefore, <laughs> under those filters, as this story points out, yeah. the ads haven't been able to be shown. So therefore, the bill hasn't been that much because you haven't had ads. So mm. there's talk now that the parameters will be tinkered with because really if you're going to advertise on streaming services and you don't want anything risque, you're going to have <coughs> uh, pretty slim picking. So... And it hasn't been a problem on free-to-air TV because we know that some really big shows that have been violent and, uh, you know, have had um, some type of sex scene in it, they've been very popular with advertisers. So let's see what happens for that. These are all these learning experiences out of it. But unfortunately, Netflix (coughs) declined to comment on the user numbers for its Mm. first month. And that's disappointing. We'd love to know uh, that they say it's too early to release such information. So just sit and wait. Now... Talking about things that have been released, Avatar is back. Jordan, tell us Avatar is at the movies. What do we need to know? 
Yeah, well, 13 years later, after the first one, uh, Avatar premiered in cinemas yesterday, and uh, there's a bunch of coverage today that's predicting it's in for a record-breaking weekend, the box, off, box office, sorry. Um, as we know, the popular director, James Cameron, he's really hoping that that's the case, that it breaks a record, because the movie costs a reported... 350 million US to make. 350 million. Uh, and according to Cameron, he needs and he believes the film needs to be third or fourth most successful in history in order for it to just break even. That's a big wow. ask. Um, so the, insta- the second instalment is called The Way of Water and it's the first of three planned follow-ups. So he okay. really needs to do well. Talk about a bit of pressure. Um <laughs> What I'm interested in is the effect this will have on the box office and the struggling box office, I might add. The box office, it's really struggled to sort of recover after the pandemic uh, this year, but a lot of what I've read say that you know, analysts are really hopeful that it will improve towards the end of this year and into next. But um, I suppose that really all hangs on that quality and schedule of content coming up. Like no matter how you, how you slice it, this is an incredibly important movie, this Avatar movie yeah. for theatres around the globe after a very slow post-summer season in the US in particular. And, you know, we've had Wakanda forever sort of dominating the theatres for the last five or six weeks. So, so yeah. are you an Avatar fan and are you going to the cinemas? I am a big fan. I remember being 14 years old, loving watching that first movie. But... Um, I couldn't tell you a, a, a single character's name now 13 <laughs> years later. Like, we will discuss this beforehand. I reckon I probably will line up and go watch it, but I might have to go and read up, just, you know, spend five minutes cluing myself back in on what's the deal. Would you stream the first one before you go and watch it? Oh, that's a good pull. I reckon I would. I reckon I would. So you've been for a double and you'll do the original? Mind you, I've got to find, what is it, that this new one's three hours and the previous one, I would guess... Two and a half at yeah. least. So, you so know, the new one's three hours. Three hours. That's a big chunk. It is a lot of time. But that's the way movies are nowadays. They're minimum yeah. two hours, two and a half and hours. And we've discussed this before. We have. Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, if you go, that would be good because I'll just get your verdict on it because I won't be there. Yeah, you're not overly keen, hey? I was just never an Avatar fan. In fact, I'll say it was a stinker. It did nothing for me, Avatar. You're more of a Maverick fan, eh? Yeah, well, maybe I just saw all the hype <coughs> and thought this movie was unbelievable because it was hyped, Avatar. Oh, my it goodness, was. the hype was. I just went to it and this was I just didn't get the I don't know what was going on. There mm. was blue people and there was all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I know people thought it was fantastic and that's great. You're among them. Fantastic. So you can tell me what the... I'll let you know. But... I did get to see Maverick during the week. Mm. So I watched Maverick. Speaking of uh, sequels that are a bit older, 37 years later. Yeah. And I was 11 when Top Gun came out and was a Top Gun fan, being 11 years old and, mm. you know, blokes flying in planes and so forth. And that movie was surprisingly good, says me, seven months after it came out. Surprisingly good, hey? <laughs> I'm surprised up with it. it was good. It was very good, I thought. It was really well done. And I can see why the. I guess why that movie was so important to the cinema earlier this year because that was the first big blockbuster after the pandemic really came out in May and did amazing numbers Mm -hmm. in theatres. So, yes, there's still a market there for it and here we are with sequels and, you know, doing things 
you know, years after, 13 years for Avatar, 37 years in the case of uh, Top Gun, although that was delayed by the pandemic. Mm. So there's still really a market there for it. And, you know, hats off to uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and that crew who managed to do that. I'm fascinated by Bruckheimer because he was so active in the 80s with mm. big movie after big movie, you know, Footloose, Beverly Hills Cop, um, you know, Top Gun. And he's moved into TV stuff with CSI and others. I mean, that guy has got a serious talent for understanding what audiences like. Mm. And there's been, you know, ones that they haven't gone well, so be it. That's it. You're just trying to find what the winners are. But he is so consistently good at engaging audiences. And in the end, that's what his business is. That's it. As it is our business in trying to understand audiences. So, yeah, I take my hat off to uh, that team that did that. That was That's a good movie and it appeals to generations. I mean, my boys enjoyed the movie um, you know, well well after, you know, not even knowing what happened in the first Top Gun. So there you go. There's my movie review seven months late for everyone who saw it in May and have since forgotten what actually happened. There you go. I'm finally getting to it. Now, next week we will do our final week in review and we'll look back at some of the things from this year that yep. have taken our eye in a bit of a 2022 year in review. That'll be a couple of days before Christmas. It will be. Before the Christmas break. So maybe you will have seen Avatar before then, maybe not. Oh, it's unlikely, but maybe, you never know. Maybe I'll set it to some homework, tough homework. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it may be. It may be. Okay, enjoy the week. You too.